The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the marketing madman with Trip Job and Darren Rand on Extra 106.3 FM. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with Rand Inc. And uh, joining me again today, Nick Constantino, Vice President of uh, Business Development for 680 The Fan, the Atlanta Braves Radio Network, and frequent contributor. And it's great to have you here, Nick. Hey, Trip. How you doing? Doing awesome. You know, um, I saw an article that we're going to talk about today, and, and you're perfect for this. Um because it really already set me up to fail. Yeah, no, no, already no. set me up to fail. <laughs> so it's about um, key sales training topics. And so we're, wait a second, this is a marketing madman. Why are we talking about sales? And as you know, my background is both sales and marketing, and I'm a huge believer in alignment. And we'll, we'll dive into that at some sure. point. But, you know, as I talk to some of my clients and things like that over the summer, I mean, a lot of the things that they're now dealing with is, you know, what what's changing how do we you know how do we close business how do we get our salespeople really thinking about it and i thought this was a uh, you know a really good article and get your background and get some sure. of your thoughts i mean look we're not going to go into the whole thing and this came from the rain group you know this was 26 different ideas about you know important sales training topics so we'll, we'll cover some of them we're not sure. going to get in all the advanced ones but um i mean you see it every day you see uh you know uh, sales teams and organizations that you're like, God, have, have they ever been trained? Do they yeah. do they know what for, they for know sure. what their business? Or is have like. they been overtrained? Or have they been trained to learn one thing, but their business has already pivoted away from that? So yeah, and I think you know the the difference between sales and marketing. The line has blurred much more than it used to be. It used to be, and I remember even when I started in radio and media, like the salespeople did not talk to the marketing people. The promotions people, you kept it very separate. And one is because the agendas and the intentions were different. Right, like the the, the the job of the marketing promotions department was to generate opportunities in theory for sales to go sell, um, not the other way around. Um, but because of just uh, just the, the 2007 eight recession, COVID, the lines have blurred. Where if your sales and marketing is not aligned, you're missing out on opportunities. And I think that's for any kind of company, really. Oh, I mean, I, I've 20 plus years been preaching that. And I think let's, let's even start there. I, mean, I think, you know, when we get into some of these topics about sales training, I have for years used to take uh, some of my marketers, usually the more junior ones, and, you know, if if the sales team had a big training event, I would pick one or two people, not the whole team, but I wanted them to sit through it, right? Yeah. You know, and much like we would bring um, some of the salespeople into some of the marketing, uh, you know, kind of our strategic, you know, work groups and things of that nature. But I think, you know, especially early in your career, marketers benefit from understanding some of the I, principles. I agree. I think sales it, training. I, I think it goes both ways. I think salespeople benefit from marketing, but I would say it is. I would always rather take somebody with the innate sales skills first than yes. somebody with the innate marketing skills. And I say that because you can train marketing. You, yes. It is really hard to train somebody who is not adept at sales to sell. They can learn. They can pick things up. My wife is a great case in point. She's an a- academic. 
She's been offered to do a doctorate at Hopkins. She's an academic, but I've just watched her change. And man, she has become a BSer and she has picked up the right skills to help her in her career because she's around me. And all I do all day is try to sell stuff. You know, that's right, just, yeah. the, it's just the nature. Well, I'm going to ask you this. Is, it's not necessarily a trick question, but sure. I think a lot of people don't think about it this way. But what in your mind, what's the number one sales skill that you if you're looking for someone, what do they have to have? Uh, my, I'm, I'm going to say something that's probably different than anyone would say. I would say a um, diversity of experiences. And the reason yep. I say that is, um, you know, the trick is to any sales is to develop rapport with somebody. And the easiest way to have rapport with somebody is to see a bunch of different things in life. I've lived in eight cities. I've, I've been very diverse in what I've done. I've traveled. So when I meet somebody, my chance on hitting it off with them is increased greatly because I have more probably potential to have more things in common with them. I know yeah. it's probably not what you were expecting, but it has been the one thing that I yep. have found ability to generate quick rapport is probably number one. I would say, um, I agree with you. I would say it's the result of what I'm going to say, I think is the most important skill when I've looked at hiring salespeople. And that is the ability and desire to continuously learn. And I think what you're describing, whether it's, you know, whether it's geographic, whether it's industries, whatever, the people who have that diversity have got that desire to learn. All right. It's not, this is the way I do it. I've been a salesperson in this industry. Those are the people, look, they're successful people who've done it for years and years and years. But uh, to me, it's that desire and openness to learn that truly, can you mold them? Can they right. learn? Can they adapt? Yeah. Can and they I, be diverse? And I think media sales and radio sales, especially if I'm going to expand on that, is a great medium for that because we, I, I mean, actively with 160 clients and 50 different industries, you have a chance to learn from every one of them. And and, yeah. you're, and you're helping them market their business, which means if you don't understand the bottom line, their margins, where they're making money, where their cost centers are, uh, you're not doing your job right. So, you know, I probably learned, I mean, I, I, I'm out with people who sell beer and liquor, yeah. and I may just be an aficionado, but right. they say because I, I could sell beer tomorrow because yeah. of the experience I've gained in doing the marketing side of it. Um, so I, I, I gr- completely right. agree with that. The only thing I'll say is, is that you might not gain that desire to learn till older and later in life and I think I had it when I was young which helped me uh, quickly I traveled a lot even when I was young I was going out of my comfort zone often um, so if you have the ability to and you really can uh, leave that comfort zone early and often because I think it's the quickest way to want to learn more is to leave your comfort zone right and you know so the first thing on this article um, from the rain group was um, you know sales training effectiveness and it talked about um, 71% of top performing sell, salespeople um, rate the sales training they receive as extremely effective, right? Whereas um, everyone else only put 45%. So I think it ties into that. And, and yep. again, if you're, okay, if you're a manager leader out there and you're trying to think, boy, do I have this young saleswoman, salesman, um, you know, think about how they react to training. Do the, the follow-up, the feedback to learn to your point they may be young you they may not know it yet yeah but how they react to this training if like god that was a waste of my time well you probably have a little inclination of they're very much in their own ways they're not open to learning sure. and things like that because i've seen this for 30 years that the top you know they're they're people that i would have said you know are making million dollars a year in the paper distribution industry that were in the front row of sales meeting taking notes Every time, and and the guys that were two and three years in it struggling yep. were the ones who came in fifteen minutes late. Oh yeah, wanted to get out of there and didn't really care what uh, yeah. whoever was presenting. Yeah, you got to be dynamic, but I think you know at least for myself, 
having being able to enjoy training and engage in training isn't always a metric of its success because there are things that I remember from you know I've taken Xerox training I've taken Harvard negotiation that I'm yeah. like oh that was stupid and then like 10 years later I'm quoting it somehow yeah. uh, so I think your attitude towards it doesn't always replicate what you get out of it I think it's more right. that openness to understand that like look this is Xerox who at one point was one of the top most respected companies in America and Harvard so like shut up listen they're smarter than you like th- that's the ultimately the answer. Yeah. If you can appreciate that, uh, I think you'll always learn something. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, you know, one of the we had Mark Hunter. Um, you've probably you know Mark the sales hunter. Um, yep. And and Mark is an acquired taste at times. <laughs> um, we had him for a couple of days, but you know, one of the things that Mark did in every one of his session, to your point, he said, "Look, at the end of this session, minimally, I want one thing that you're going to walk away with." Ideally, you take two or three, and this is like a two-hour session. This is not a 30-minute. But his point is, yeah, I'm going to talk a lot, and then a lot of things aren't going to resonate. But again, as a leader, you know, looking at your salespeople, there's there's going to be a lot of fill things that you say, oh, this doesn't apply to me. But regardless of Xerox, whether it's someone like Mark Henry, et cetera. You ought to be able to take one or two things away. Right. And if you do it enough times, you'll take 20 things out of from 20 different people or 10 different people, which is ultimately the goal. The hard the hardest thing about in my transition from selling to managing is the innate thought that everyone's going to think the same way as you and, and they're going to do things the same way as you and they're going to have a capacity to learn the same way as you. Uh, but really, as a manager, you have to be more open to learning than even as a, a salesperson because now you've got to learn of the personalities and psychology of 13, 15, 20, 100 people, which, man, if, if you think you're, if you're going to be closed-minded in that approach – you are dead on arrival, man. You you need to be open, and it is the hardest thing to learn because, you know, you you're promoted to a manager because you've had success in your own career, and it also shows how few NBA players can be or NFL players can be coaches. It shows how yeah. few top salespeople make it as as sales managers. Um, you know, but but ultimately, you 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 need to be. A bit able to process information quickly, learn quickly, but also differentiate what's good and bad information. There are probably some trainings that are not worth your time. Yeah. There are probably some LinkedIn videos where you think you're watching and 25 minutes in, you're like, why am I wasting my time with this? You got to learn quickly if that thing is going to be a value or you're going to be able to pay attention to it. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, there was a uh, smart brief is another, I don't know if you get any of the smart brief. Uh, I get about three of them uh, every week, but um, they just did a study about, you know, what are the when you promote someone from a top performing sales job or marketing job into being the manager, what are the likely outcomes? And, you know, most of them were negative, you know, because either they didn't know how to change or they tried to keep doing everything themselves their way to your point, you know, and, and everyone you're in less the control. Same way. Yeah. You're in less control when you're selling, you're controlling the, the environment completely. When you're managing, you're, you got, 20 other people who are somehow in control. If they don't vibe with, if they don't vibe with what you're saying, uh, you're going to lose. And most top salespeople do not like losing. And again, if you're planning on going to some kind of management or training, you better get that out of your mind quick uh, because you lose as many as you win every time. So as we close out uh, this section, um, two things I want to bring up. One, you know, it is kind of budget time. So if you're out there and you're either a business leader or um, sales leader, a I just am adamant that you need to have some type of training. Okay, it may not be the full boat, the Mark Hunter, stuff like that, the you know the old Xerox training, you name it, um, Sandler, whatever. But put something in on a routine basis. Yep. I mean, look, it's coming out of COVID, whether it's hybrid selling now, there's so many things people need to do. 
Um, the second thing, and I, you brought up a great point, is it may not it, what you think is right, and there may be some obvious things, but you know, take a couple of different salespeople, one of your experienced people, one of your newbies, one of the middle of the road, and ask them what do they think they need. Yeah. You know, and get that feedback. Yeah. And I think get them engaged. I, there are times where I'll have guest hosts of trainings yeah. uh, and I'll take a guy who just didn't get the week before. I'm like, oh, guess what? Now you're in charge of training. See how much fun it is. And and you get them engaged in it just to really see, one, what they're absorbing, but two, put them in the, the other side of the chair and, and see how hard it is to keep someone's attention for an hour straight. Uh, so I, th- I agree with that. that no, that's great. And you, you learn a lot about potential uh, capabilities of those people to do other things. So when we come back, we're actually going to get into the, the the core of this article will give you some of the, the most common topics and some of the better topics for sales training for uh, the rest of this year in 2022. So you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Uh, Trip Job here with Nick Constantino, who is the uh, VP of Business Development for 680 The Fan and the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. And we are talking about, you know, sales and marketing alignment, sales training. And, you know, we're going to dive in now to some of the top uh, sales training topics as put forth by the RAIN Group. Um, and these are things just to consider for your training initiative. So whether it's the rest of this year or next year, if you're doing your budgets, um, and there's some great topics here, and I want to get um, the number one, um, and these are consultative selling type topics, uh, but the number one is building rapport. And Nick, I want to get your thoughts because you kind of you hit on it when we first started out, but um, you know, I'll, I'll just say right now, the, the four principles of building rapport um, are empathy, authenticity, similarity, and shared experience. And that's really what the, this idea of training is. Do your salespeople understand that and how to build rapport? So what, I mean, how have you viewed that? What have you done? What's uh, some of your best practices? Yeah, well, first of all, it's important to acknowledge this is a soft skill. This is a very, yeah. how you do this, how you go about this. I get that there are four here, but this is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. This is people, you, you, if, you don't, if you don't have an ability to build rapport, you're probably not going to succeed in sales or probably shouldn't be in sales in the first place. So yeah. how do you expand <laughs> on it is the question. You know, I feel obliged to do some cheesy old sayings that you get in the sales world. And this one, I'm going to say the Marlin on the wall. Yeah. Okay, so, so, you know, we've got a really cool office. We bring a lot of people here. I still to this day am more comfortable showing up to somebody else's office. And the reason is, is that when you get in someone else's office, you can very quickly diagnose everything about them. If they have jerseys, if they have knives, if they have guns, if they have dogs, if they have this. And if you don't walk into another person's office or in any environment and quickly scan everything around it, you're not going to be a good salesperson. So the moral on the wall, what is it about them that you can relate to? For Ob- us, observation skills. Observation. I mean, really... For us, if the second you see a Braves jersey, it's like the lights go off in your head because all of a sudden we have a common ground. We sell Braves. We're in the stadium. We have tickets, blah, 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 blah. But to go down these things real fast, and I took some notes here, empathy, in almost impossible to train. Empathy is one of those words. It is a, it is a be empathetic, you know, social awareness, self-awareness. These are these, you know, um, emotional intelligence. All these words are thrown around. These are very hard skills to develop because empathy means you're putting yourself in someone else's shoes and seeing things through their guy. That is very hard to do. We are much better at sympathy as people. We're right. much better as I feel bad for this person that I understand what they're going through. But the one thing that, you know, that's mentioned here and I will say is a key part of it is listening. So you're right to truly develop empathy takes a lot but 
listening and not just talking, listening, being comfortable with, you know, uh, the dead period, listening between the words of what someone starts talking about. And I think you can very easily train how important that is. I think it's very hard to train somebody to do that. Yeah. And that's if why it's, I, if it, it's not their nature, if it's not their nature and it's to bring out in it. Now, authenticity. One of the things I think here is if you don't believe in what you're selling, it's very hard to be authentic. And we all know people who are selling something that they don't believe in. They're selling maybe for the money, maybe because they can't find something else. But it's hard to yeah. be authentic if you don't believe in what you're selling. And authenticity is the first sign you can be very successful in the short term, being inauthentic. very yeah. In the long term, you will not be. Yeah. Um, but there are some good things you can do to train that. And one is, is role-playing is a great one here. And, and set up scenarios and let someone pitch scenarios. Um, so authenticity is one I think really can be trained and one that is a good example of how you can do some role-playing exercises. Um, similarity, again, a very hard thing to train. But what you're trying to say is when you go into this meeting, you are you are a business person, a representative of the station. You are not a person on the other side of this. So yeah. you find things in common. You're both running businesses. You both have this. You both are trying to make this business succeed. Training people into what they believe it takes the business to succeed is a good way to do that. You know, market climates. Do we understand what's happening with COVID? All those things will create a, neat, a similarity. So that's, yeah. that is a recommendation. And the last one is shared experience. Shared experience is that leave the realm of comfort. You know, maybe your friend is maybe your client is not a sports fan and maybe they like wine and brunch. Yeah. You know what? Well, that's where you want to meet them. You want to meet them where they're comfortable because that's when they're going to open up and get to know you and give you honest feedback. The hardest thing about selling is giving is getting someone to give you honestly what they need. If you can find their problem, it's yeah. pretty easy to find solutions when you know their problem. All of these things are important because they're the first step into really finding the pain point and the problem, yeah. assuming the person knows the, knows the problem. But that's a different topic for a different time. Right, and, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll dive in, I'm sure, as we get through some of these others. But even that, that idea of that shared experience, I think that's the one that takes a little bit of time, too. And I think sometimes salespeople, you know, they get transactional and they want to have for that sure. immediately. And sure. that one, look, you got to build that trust. You got to have, you know, that... Um, that comfort zone and for really, sure. really uh, understand for, what they want to be able to have that, you know, and, uh, and it could dive. take, it could take years to build it. Yeah. I have a client, a buddy of mine, you know, we were just up at Harris together and two kids, same age, you know, just want to move in houses at the same time. So that also changes, right? Your life yeah. changes right now. I have got a one and a half year old, right? That's not going to be the case 10 years from now. So who I yeah. share an experience with is going to change quickly also. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do think now let's talk about the next step because, yeah. All these things are great and are skills that allow you to build a report to find out about a client, but a needs analysis, right? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, discovery because I think from what I do at least, because we are selling a non-tangible good, uh, the CNA, the customer needs analysis, the discovery phase is so important. So as you've been on the back end and selling yeah. more tangible goods, tell me a little bit about the CNA process, the needs discovery, and how you've trained people to do a good needs analysis for a customer. Well, I mean, and, and most people don't. I mean, even the, this this article talks about only twenty six percent of buyers say that uh, the sellers, you know, had a needs discovery process. That tells you three quarters aren't Are doing something it. down your throat. Well, and that's because they have a pitch. Whether right. marketing gave them, all right, this is how I'm supposed to come in and pitch the product. Versus, um, you know, you, you mentioned it in the last section. Asking deep questions, asking open-ended questions. Um, what is your challenge? What is yeah. your problem? Um, I'll, I'll use an example. I'm working right now with uh, a client that I've, I've worked with for a while, but it's you know about websites, and they want to update their website. And so, 
you know, one of the things that we talked about before we ever get into it is, um, you know, we brought up four to five different websites from customers, competitors in the industry, and we started talking about what they saw, what they liked, and how it related to them. We didn't talk about what your website should be. It was more about using the industry, using competitors, using customers, and that was the starting point. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. You can't start of what do you want because if they don't know what they want, it's got to be, it's got to be. And I think you bring up a good point. I don't. I am not opposed to asking questions in which you know the answers to elicit the response that you want to to get. Because right. if you have done your research, you probably already know a lot of these answers. So, but the the psychology of Someone telling you of you telling someone something and you getting them to tell that to you are very different. So I am not opposed yeah. to asking leading questions in which you know the answers or to get the answers you want. And it sounds like in this example, you did this because you knew they didn't know what they wanted. So you use this as a way to get them to find what they wanted. Exactly. And really determine the the key things. So then we eventually will build and, and look, get the project and then build off of. But, you know, there's into that point. Um, there's a couple of key questions they mentioned here. I'm going to give one other example that I, sure. I started 25 years ago. Honestly, I can't remember who may have encouraged me to do this. Um, but I used to create, and, and whether it's on your phone now, you know, my day it was, uh, you know, the Franklin Planner. I used to have a sheet in the back of it that was just my field questions. Anytime I was out with customers or our salespeople or whatever, and, you know, it started out as five or ten questions, and it ended up being front and back, two pages. Um, those were things that I learned over the years that I could just start asking and to have, you know, get that dialogue going sure. and really dive into. And as I've trained salespeople over the years, I've always encouraged them to have those key questions sure. to refer back to. Now, in this case, they talk about the five whys, Yeah. right? So why did this happen? All right, so that's number one. If they're looking for something, you know, did something break? Are you getting called in, you know, because someone else failed? Sure. Right? That's a that's a big one. Why, you know, why will this solve the problem? That's, again, trying to make sure that you're not pitching your product right sure. away. Um, why didn't you reach your goal? You know, what, uh, what was holding you back? Sure. Um, and then lastly, kind of was the, you know, why hasn't something else worked? That's where you're obviously coming in as a competitor. Uh, more so. But you've already, uh, if you did it in order, you've already acknowledged that there was a problem. So you can right. find out why there was a problem if you've acknowledged there was a problem. So, yeah. Right. So, I mean, those are the kind of things. And, and whether, you know, starting with these questions, building, you know. And, yeah, don't and, don't come and ask those questions like that. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> exactly, one of the, the yeah. and I, one of the exercises I do. And this is probably my favorite training sales exercise is we sit down and we write, OK, six words each set. What do we want to know? How much money do they have? Are they ready to spend? And then it's, okay, how do we ask this without being coming across as obnoxious salespeople? Right. So, you know, great example. What's your budget? I promise you, if you walk into a meeting and your third question is, what's your budget? budget? You'll be kicked out. You will never know the answer. Now, wait until the very end of the meeting, pitching your cause, finding out the pain points and saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come at you with three proposals at X, Y, and Z price. You guess which one the middle price is. You're a little below or a little above. Based on their facial reaction, you should be able to tell what their budget is. That is a way to soften a question. If you walk in and ask somebody some of these questions to begin with, you are screwed, and that is not how you build rapport. Absolutely. So one of my favorite, let's let's call it the, it's in the three to five fifth question mode. So after you've gotten a little bit of, you know, what's really happening, what's not, not going on, is what does success look like? 
And so you've got a little bit of the problem. And yep. then find out, look, is success just, is it duct taping the problem? Sure. Is it, a lot of times, success ties into that budget question, sure. but without asking the budget. Sure. You know, and it may be you find out that budget's not an issue. We need to, you know, do whatever we can to get sales up to this point. Um, but asking what success looks like, sure. that also puts it in their their terms, especially if you got a buyer. All right. Sometimes we're dealing with maybe not the functional lead. Sure. We're dealing with um, purchasers and buyers, which really goes into this next section. Uh, this next point is communicating with different buyer personas. And um, so I kind of want to get your take on that because, you know, again, if it's purchasing department versus maybe you're dealing, in your case, with the marketing sure. department and media um, or general management, how do you look at that and how do you train? What do you think about from the sales experience? Yeah. So I'm going to flip this around because I think before you can understand buyer personas, you have to understand your selling persona. Um, so I, I'm going to simplify it. I think there are three types of salespeople. There are salespeople that stand in front of you and pull you. Yep. There are salespeople that stand behind you and push you, and there are salespeople that hold your hand and go with you together. I always lean towards the middle. I always want mm -hmm. somebody who's going to hold your hand through the process because yep. we're in a long-term sales cycle. I'm not selling a quick good. I'm not selling a commodity. I'm not selling a tangible item. Um, but understanding what kind of salesperson you are is incredibly before you understand start because certain sales personalities will work better with certain buying personalities. Um, so that exercise is done first. And what yep. I do is I put those three out, and I – ask everybody in the room to say what they think the person to the right of them, what their persona is. Yeah. And then we keep passing it around just to see how all over the place is. And that I think finally, eventually, after somebody says three times, well, you're this kind, yeah. that person might acknowledge, oh man, maybe I am that really kind. Am, yeah. And then if they figure that out, it's much easier to approach the rest of these. Um, you know, there are a couple of things about buyers that are always the same. Uh, ego is always involved. You have to judge ego quickly, especially yep. in my industry. Lawyers are a great example. You see a lot of billboards with lawyers' faces on them, right? That's because they have gigantic hey. egos, right? <laughs> so you got those people. Then you get the uh, collaborative people. Collaborative people, are, they are the ones who want to be a part of this process. They're not right. saying, I need this. They're saying, let's build this together. Okay. Yep. In my experience, these are by far the best people to deal with uh, just because of the nature of what we sell. An outgoing person. The problem with this is it's someone that always it just wants to be seen and wants to be talking. They may not be buying. But they just want friends. They always want to be around people. Now, as a salesperson, very, very good. As a buyer, not always the best because these are the people you're courting yeah. for six years trying to get something. And they're great to be around and you're fun to be around them. But ultimately, they're not buying your product. Um, then there's always the... Um, let's call it objective or subjective, the, the person that's overthinking everything, that's got to have all these points, and it's really, they're se you're almost selling against yourself at that right. point. Um, then there's, there's the very analytical person. Um, you know, dealing with analytics has gotten easier if you have analytics and you have good analytics. Um, but again, that person's mind's made up before they do whether they're going to do business with you or not based on a, a data set that you don't even know if it's accurate half the times. Uh, and then the last one is just the just the chill dude, man. Yeah. Just the guy that's there. He's always yesing you. But again, is he buying? I don't know. So I think just as far as those six people are, those people and some of the selling styles deal better with some of these people, right? A collaborative right. person is going to do best with a handholder, right? Somebody who's easygoing is probably going to do needs a little push. So again, if you can uncover every seller's style, it's easier to have them adapt to the buying buying styles. Yeah, there's one more, and it somewhat ties into what you were describing the analytical. But I, I've actually recently dealt with someone like this, and that is, hey, um, I know it all. I've been there. This is, you know, what I know is best. 
And those are my yeah. favorite to deal with. Yeah, and no, those, I'm not those kidding. Are, those are those are my my personal favorite people because that is just a alpha male in a room. Yes. And once you alpha male them, usually yeah, they come the pretty quickly push. and they and they get and they give it and say, okay, you got me. Yeah. So I actually those are my favorite people yeah. to deal with. But you have to push. You do any of the others. Hey, you might as well just walk away. But I think you can do a push to get them to a point where they're ready to hold hands, too. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think it's a push and do this. I think it's a push. Oh. See it my way, and then let's do this together. Or maybe you have to cave and say, all right, you know what? I see it your way a little bit. Now let's move forward. Right. No, no question about now, that. Now we so. move forward. All right, so next next is is one of the fun ones, all right? All right. And this one is, again, you need some self-awareness here. Uh, let's talk about overcoming objections. Let's talk about... When you have a sales staff, you know, getting the meeting is, is always uh, half the process, but the next process is getting the deal done. And getting the deal done always comes with objections. Some are the usual, this dude is cheap. Like, there's yeah. just no other way to say this. Some is the, you know, they don't see value in your product. But ultimately, there are a list of objections, and how on the fly you overcome those objections are paramount to closing business. So talk about, about training to get people to understand how to overcome objections. Well, I think number one that I've seen over, over history is a lot of salespeople don't think they have a problem here. So they don't want training. That's number one. I mean, I think I think this is a great one. I think it does you know, come into play a lot more. People think about the transactional B2C, you know, salesperson um, and, you know, the slick, they got a script and all those type of things. And I think, I think you really have to make sure that, you know, with some of the other things we're talking about is you get the salespeople to realize you can be better. This is an area that um, really understands, you know, that listening, what, what to drive for. And um, you can be better. It's, it's an area we always have to learn. And that's, that's the number one, because I've seen the rolled eyes. Oh, God, we have to do this, you know, type of thing. And, um, you know, the, the training here they really talk about is, you know, that you've got to, you know, back to the uh, personas, you've got to understand what, what the objections are. And you've got yeah. you to categorize and understand what they are first, not just it's a no. Yeah. It's, is it a, hey, we really don't have a need or perceived need? Is it an urgency factor? Sure. You Timing know, maybe, factor, yep. It may be a not now. Yeah. You know, that's the old class. I love the not nows. You know, it's not yeah. that they don't have a need. It's just urgency. Then it's the trust, you know, going back to your collaborative, working hand sure. in hand. Or uh, maybe it is money, you know, and it could be money from a budget. It could be money from any number of things. But I, I think this is a great one, and I think – the biggest part is maybe some of the sales egos not feeling they need it. Yeah, and that's that's a great two two points I'll have here. One, this is a good time to say a no is always better than a maybe. Yep. Uh, in business, you tr I train my people to get no's. Not, well, maybe not to drag your feet. And if you get a no, why was it a no? Because I don't want to make that mistake again. So that's an important part here. The other one is this is the time to put egos aside. This is the time to disconnect yourself because they are not critical of you. They are critical of the product. If they yep. are critical of you, you're screwed to begin with. So I don't know what you're wasting your time with. Yeah. But if they're critical of the product, you are not the product. This is not a time to get angry or defensive. This is a time your job is to provide solutions. So if you this, this is a good time to disconnect yourself from the business yeah no no question so um well let's uh I, I think that one's fairly straightforward so why don't we jump in um to the next one which you know does build off that a little bit and that's that trust factor right so how do you and, and nick was talking earlier if you're just picking up now um here with the marketing madmen that um you know being able to share experiences have those relationships i mean that's what you ultimately and you've built that with a lot of uh, your clients 
Um, but that's that's not always easy, and I think it's uh, important, especially if you're looking for um, you know long-term customer value. Yeah, yeah, and and when you build trust, you got to look at I think the short, mid, and long term, and you always got to be planning for all three of those things, right? The short term building trust is very simple, and that is, are you a marketing resource for them or a product resource for them? So, do you know what their competitors are doing? Are you looking for marketing trends? Are you seeing if they're in the news? Are you aware situationally of what's happening with them? Um, that's how you build trust because if they lean on you to be a confidant and a resource, you have a much better chance of a long term deal. Now, medium term is, are you thinking in their best interest? A great example for us is, you know, 10 years ago, you're telling people only do radio. Now, if I'm telling somebody, hey, they should only be doing radio, I'm not only screwing the client, I'm screwing myself. Because if they don't have a digital presence and they're not SEO, then no one's going to find them. So it's going to be not benefit anyway. That's the midterm. The long term is more a, you know, is this somebody that I'm going to have, you know, at my third wedding? Like, I, yeah. you know, and, and honestly, there are people that I know that I will be friends with clients that I'll be friends with for a very long time. And I'm not saying you have to think that way, but the awareness to know that is is also sometimes it gets in the way because it's it's hard to do business with friends too, but I think trust is 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 multiple layers of trust. Yeah, that you have to and build. the integrity to say, you know, and look, obviously when we sell marketing and and strategy consulting, there's times where a client will ask us to do things, and I'll just say, you know, that's not our wheelhouse. Sure. Now I know people. If you, you want point me, them the right way, if yep. you want me to source it, but I can also, you know, just say, let me connect you if you like them. You deal with them directly. I can be the interface, but you know what? We're, we're not going to make a margin off that. I want them to bill you. you. Imagine the trust that has of versus me saying, oh, we can figure it out. And I go try to hire someone in the background and you know BS my way through for sure. understanding it. It's just, it's for, not, for sure. to me, it's not worth it when you want a long-term for, relationship. For sure. And I think this is a good point to talk about how different sales training styles, there are some times where you have to get up in front of a room and say, do what I tell you. And this is a great example because if you don't answer your emails in a timely manner, yeah. there will never be trust. If you right. don't feel like you need to get back to somebody that same day, within an hour, within two hours, if they don't know that you're reliable or dependable, they will never, ever, ever trust you. That is not something you train. That yeah. is something you say, if I find out you're not answering your emails in a timely manner, I will move that account to somebody else. There are times well, as a trainer and a manager, you have to make those calls. And I think trust is a great example. That is easy to break. It's hard to get trust, but it's easy to break trust. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's the old classic saying, people won't, you know, don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. For I sure. mean, that's that's the, the, the classic attitude For on sure. that. So, um, you know, we've... Uh, I don't want to dive into the next one yet until maybe after the break, but, you know, we've kind of run through, you know, these first five uh, key areas from sales training. You know, as, as I think you see some of these play off each other. Um, but, you know, I want to get your experience real quick of effectiveness. How, how narrow do you like to see training versus pulling multiple things together? Um, would you rather do one segment and then come back in two months and do another small segment? Or do you just try to pull it all together and do multiple things at one time? Uh, for me, it's depending on the seasonality. We're really busy around Braves and college football. So I'm going to be more impromptu now and just what we need. But in, in probably call it November through March, I will be very specific in the approach. It will be we're doing segments. We're doing sessions. They're going to flow into each other. Um, that's just me doing it for long enough to know that when we're in a busy season, putting together a training is not going to be something that's going to be doable. Yeah. Um, I like 
I like keeping people off guard with training. Yeah. I like telling them we're going to train on something and then walking into a completely different scenario. One, because a sales job, sales guy's got to think on his feet. But two, you're going to get a better engagement level if people aren't expecting something. Yeah. Um, so I'm more of that. I'm and more focused. And I, I'm I'm with you. I like especially with salespeople, man. If you start to do multiple things, tie them up together, you're going to start losing people. I kind of like focus again. Let's let's get two things out of this, three things out of this, and you know what? We'll come back another point whether they're expecting it or not to your point so um you are listening to the marketing Mad men on extra 106.3 we'll be right back and dive into a few more of these sales training tips and uh, best practices for you now back to the marketing Mad men on extra 106.3 fm Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with Nick Constantino of uh, 680 The Fan and Atlanta Braves Radio Network. We've run through five of really key sales training topics. We're going to hit two more in this last segment. And, um, you know, I think uh, the Rain Group has done a wonderful job of kind of putting out things that uh, are value here. And I think um, the next one is near and dear to my heart. So, um, you know, because I think here's a chance for sales and marketing to, to work together. So, um, when I think about it, I and mean, number six was crafting and developing a value proposition positioning statement. You know, a lot of times I think uh, sales will go, well, that's marketing's job, and then I just have to do it. And I think that's where um, the sales and marketing alignment can go wrong. And I think, you know, from my perspective, that's where you have to bring the two together. Sales are the ones that are hearing all these objections. Sales are hearing what is going on. I mean, I was a big believer of sending marketers out in the field every now and then. But I think coming together and doing training, you know, you were talking about role play earlier. To me, this is this is the classic workshop, right? So you've got your sales team, you've got a couple people from marketing, and you're really going into what what's working, what type of things do you hear? And you can even get deeper into the personas, back to you, sure. you were talking before. But um, this is not a one function role, but I think it's so important um, to to not only beat it up together, but then really crystallize it. Yeah. Because that you know, I came into one company. Phrase. I I came into one company, and when I went around the country, I got like five different value props for the same product categories. And I was like, wait a second. Um, I know we're not successful all around the country. You know, which ones are working? Why are they working? And we've really got to beat this up. And we can't, marketing can't do it by itself. You know, it's got to be in conjunction with sales because they're the eyes and ears of what you're hearing. Yeah. And this is similar to marketing because that value proposition should be a short, concise statement that you don't veer away from often. So I think this is where that overlap with marketing is great. And I think it's also, uh, you have to clearly communicate that value proposition. And that is where something marketing helps, right? That's like That's, taking the 30 page proposal, making it five pages. That's the same as taking the 120 minutes of copy and making it 60 seconds. So I think there's a lot of overlap here. Yeah, those, that's amen. Because what I see a lot of times is people will um, confuse a value prop with a tagline or a theme. You know, all of a sudden we get these sales meetings and someone comes up with a theme and somehow that gets, you know, crafted into a value prop. Well, stop. 
you know, that's more about the internal workings of the I meetings, like, et cetera. I like, I like the theme. We we had a meeting right. yesterday, and, and we themed it. And, like, right. the problem with the theme is if you're wrong, you're screwed. Right. right. Right? If you're wrong with the value proposition, you're done no matter what. You didn't listen at all. But if you try yeah. to get too clever with the theme and you're wrong, the whole meeting goes off the rafter. So you're right. Those are very different things. Right. Yeah. And so the value prop should, honestly, should probably last and be able to go for two and three years. It's not, it's not that tagline or that theme. So... Um, no, I think the, that's really uh, critical. And then the last one we're going to hit in is uh, delivering value in the eyes of the buyer. And you've kind of led up to that already. Sure. But uh, I think this one is so critical. You get some of the, the building blocks. But how do, you, how do you try to drive that with your teams? Yeah, well, the first the first thing to do is to train uh, value versus price, right? You are going to always have salespeople that want to give a deal. There are always salespeople that are going to be price sensitive, and there are always clients that are going to be price sensitive. The better companies get yeah. rid of those people quickly. Meaning, if you have a buyer, if you have someone who's buying from you that's only buying you on price, then they are the ones that are transactional because when you get somebody at a higher price, you're going to kick them off. They have to understand that. But your salespeople also have to understand the difference, yeah. right? When the Braves were in the World Series – how fast people were willing to buy twenty and thirty thousand dollar packages that are never advertised as this before? Why? Because all of a sudden we're giving them World Series tickets. There is a wow. different value proposition. The price is less important, and the value becomes more important. So for me, this is 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 exercises to trick people that think they understand value into understanding value, right? Because value is subjective. Price really is not. Price is not subjective. What is a right. cheap price is not. It is that is a cheap price. So you have your value can change over time. Value changes, and a company's job is to increase the value proposition overall. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to have to do everything right beforehand to understand what that client values. Yes. So this is back to listening again. You don't know the value until you get it now. If you know someone's a diehard Braves fan, they're going to be more likely to spend a higher price to buy Braves assets. If they don't want to listen to baseball, you're going to have to go and present it from a different value. Hey, your listeners or your consumers are baseball fans. So yeah. again, I think this is... If you have to talk about the ones that succeed and the sales teams that succeed and the sales teams that don't, the sales teams that succeed provide value. And the value is you are solving a solution. And if you find a pain yeah. point and provide a solution and become not price sensitive, um, the people that are price sensitive, and I've, I've, I've done marketing for a lot of people who are just about lowest price. It is not fun. Yeah. It is not fun. It is just you beat them over the head with it until they're done. And ironically, as we enter um, trying economic times, you think people go, they go away from them. You see the dollar menu has phased out very quickly. They're in profit margin time now. So, you know, that should change marketing. Now it's not about, you know, yeah. put it this way. If you were doing radio and you told me you were giving a pizza away for $3, I'd sell a hell of a lot of pizzas because the, the marketing message has nothing to do with it. It's the fact that you're giving something for $3. Yeah, you um, know, and, and there's times where people ask, and I got a lot of friends in consulting, and the, the person wants an hourly rate. I'm like, I'm not giving you an hourly rate. What, what, are we, what do you want to accomplish and I'm going to give you a price for that. Why Why are we going to get – if you're getting down to hourly rate, hey, you don't know if in the same hour I can give you four times the value of someone else, right, or twice the value. All you're comparing is the cost, the price. You don't know how much you're going to get for that hour because I've got all this experience. Sure. Sure. Yeah, completely. But again, it's it's it is value versus price. The yeah. you know you're 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 valuing your time not on an hourly basis on a knowledge basis, which means it's not yeah. the value proposition for you to sell your time on an hour. You yeah. know, as I've got, I used to do a lot of phone, phone consultations, and as I've developed in my career, that two hundred dollars an hour is not worth my time to put forty five minutes. And I also have two kids, and I, my time has changed. So the value on my yeah. time. The the best way I say this one. This is my favorite thing in yeah. the world. Is 
if when 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 someone steals a base in the World Series, Taco Bell gives away a taco. Yep. Okay, and I always show the line of the idiots in line for two hours to get something that is worth one dollar. What does that put your time at? How right. value? That means your time is worth fifty cents an hour. That's right. insane. That is ten times below minimum wage. So, you know, let's. I think it's important to close with this. Talk real quickly because we are about value. About the value that you provide as a service to potential clients who don't understand these sales or these marketing tactics. Well, I think the the first thing is the question I love is what does success look like, and having that holistic view both on the sales and marketing side. We come in, you know, at Rand and. What we do is understand where they're trying to, to go and be that um, really neutral person that can bring everything together and sometimes say, you know what, you don't need this. You know, let us help guide you and bring this expert in or this expert in um, and work holistically for your business goals. Um, because that's really what you're trying to do. We hear a lot of times where someone brings in marketing because they think they have a problem in SEO or they think they have a content problem. Because their buddy, else, their buddy's doing their it. Because their buddy's doing it. it. Another and, business and, is succeeding, and I, I want to be and, that. Exactly. And that's, that's just someone selling a product or a service where we come in and understand what are you trying to accomplish, what does success look like, and then let's build that up. And, and honestly, let's do that from a zero-based you know, a uh, marketing perspective, a budget perspective. It's not, oh, we offer the services and it's $12,000 a quarter. That's cookie cutter. Yeah. We Everything's custom because it, it really comes back to what, what the business needs and how do you help that business grow. I mean, for us, that's how we have the value. And if someone is looking at it as, I just want your price to build a website or a price to do, a, um, you know, content, that that's not for us because yeah. they're price driven versus value driven. So, uh, Nick, this has been great. Um, I think uh, your wisdom and your experiences. Uh, I think it's a great topic. I know it's a little off the marketing topic, but uh, there's such a, a tie in with sales and marketing and businesses today. So, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having um, me. And uh, as always, the marketing madman will be back next Saturday, and we are on Extra One Hundred Six Point Three. Have a great week. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.